We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Good morning. Perfect. Okay, we'll take it. Uh, I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you. Uh, if it looks a little dimmer up here, that's because it is. Our usual spotlights, I guess, are out, so we will all bask in the coolness, I guess, of less lighting uh, on a warmer day. Um, we are continuing uh, a series, if you're just joining in with us, that we've been in for a few weeks now, uh, called The Life of the Church, uh, where we are striving to unpack what does it really mean to be the church, uh, particularly for those of you who, who may not uh, believe in Christianity, to help understand what is the church supposed to be about? Why even be here at all on Sundays? Why be part of the life of this community? What are we supposed to be here for? Who are we? What are we to do? And to those who do believe, to remind us as well, maybe explain for the first time if we haven't been thinking about these things, who are you as God's people? What is your call now? What is this life supposed to be about? Is it just waiting on God to come back and in the meantime, I just sort of put my feet up and relax? Is it this unbridled zeal and I have to do all these things while God is waiting for me to get them done? What's the life of the church about? Culturally, it could be about many different things, but we've been borrowing from one author, Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Life of the Beloved, to use a picture that he uses there to describe the Christian life and more broadly from that, the life of the church, which is a picture in four words. It's the sacrament of communion, which he says is chosen, blessed, broken, and given. He says, as a Christian, that describes our life too, because he says, I am called as a Christian to become bread for the world, bread that is chosen blessed, broken, and given. And likewise, our Christian life is meant to be something of a living sacrament for the world around us. We are not just meant to be for us. The doors of the church are not meant to be closed, so to speak, but meant to be open, that we are meant to be pouring out into the streets of the city with care, with blessing, inviting those who are broken to, as we have, find help for our brokenness. We've been working through this picture in four words, uh, two weeks at a time, and last week we started in on the concept of blessing, looking at how God blesses us through His love and promises, how He gives us these things as an unending gift. 
Today, we're starting to look at blessed as a concept through the opening lines of this very infamous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, You may be familiar with that, even if you're not a Christian. You may have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. You may have heard of this section. It's commonly referred to as uh, the Beatitudes. And usually when you hear a sermon preached about this or when we read it, we, we see it as a list of to-dos, right? That, that Jesus is holding out to us the ethics of the kingdom of God, be like this and life will be like that. Holding out to us a, a, an aspiring list of what it means to be the church. And it certainly is less than those, I'm sorry, it's no less than those things. But I also want to look at how these are really actually statements of blessing, Not just a list of to-dos, not just a list of things that will happen, but actual statements of blessing. It does say, blessed are, so that we might understand more of the nature of God's blessing. And we're going to look at this through three considerations this morning. First, the surprising when of God's blessing that this passage shows us. Second, the surprising who of God's blessing, and finally, the future present nature of God's blessing. If that's confusing, it will remain confusing until I talk about it. So, sit with that tension. But the when of God's blessing, the who, and the future present nature of God's blessing. Before we get into those things, would you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask God to fill up our hearts this morning. Father, we have been at prayer with you already this morning. We've been in song. We've been hearing from you through the scripture and the call to worship. Now, we know that we're already engaged in a conversation with you and that that no doubt all of us in some ways are engaged in a conversation with you, even if that conversation has gone cold for a little while, even if it's been cold our whole lives. We know that you are still there, that you still speak to us, that your word, in fact, is your commitment that we might hear from you, that we might not be deaf to the sound of your words, but that we might always have a word from you there, ready to speak, ready to comfort, ready to call us home. And so this morning, I pray that by your power, you would do what only you could do, which is make your word living and active in the hearts and minds and the lives of these sisters and brothers, these young ones and these older ones here this morning, that they might hear not from me, but that they might hear from you, the living God who desires deeply to bless. So would you bring your blessing forward this morning, God? Would it sit upon our hearts that we might truly have a sense that you are the God who blesses and that knowing you, no matter what our lives look like, we are blessed. It's in your Son's name and by your Holy Spirit we ask these things. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have them open. We'll go back through the text a little bit this morning. If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you. You can always feel free to listen along as the church always has. Uh, But we'll start with the surprising when of God's blessing this morning. Uh, When God the Son, Jesus Christ, comes to earth in the flesh, right, tangible, accessible, relatable like us, he comes to his people not at our pinnacle, but at our very bottom. Not in our glory, but in our shame. Jesus comes to his people after so much has gone wrong, right? We get to this part of the Bible after this part of the Bible, and this part is a lot of things that have gone wrong, right? Jesus comes not at the pinnacle of our existence, but at the valley of it. 
And he recognizes that. And for, in fact, Matthew, if you went back to chapter 4 and look, says some of the first words of Jesus' public ministry were these, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning, things are not right. Repent is a word that means turn around. You are going the wrong way, come back. This is somewhat like when you are driving the wrong way on the road, you don't make the turn that you couldn't really figure out how to make, and it just says recalculating, recalculating, right? It's trying to turn you around. Jesus is saying, repent, turn around. Things are not right. They have actually gone terribly wrong. You've gone so far off that you are off the map, and the only way that things can be fixed is for Jesus to come out and find you and bring you home. So that means Jesus came not to, not to praise us and pat us on the back, but to save us from all that had gone wrong by his love and grace. He was on a, a mission of repair and rescue. That's his focus of his ministry, of his life, to address the previously unfixable problems in ourselves and in our world. So it's surprising that in this great teaching, right, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount that's unpacking what Jesus had just started to talk about, crowds are just starting to follow, when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, this is Matthew showing you what one of those great times of teaching was about, where he's unpacking what does this mean? What does it mean that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? What does it mean repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand? He is showing you this is what it means, and the beginning of that unpacking starts with blessing, which seems strange if the message is repent. Explaining what it means to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, calling people to change because of a heavenly reality they're estranged from, seems like a strange way to start to do that is to say, you are blessed. It seems like, in fact, Jesus is pointing out that something has gone wrong, that there is curse there and not blessing. Why does Jesus start out talking about the kingdom of God in this moment of crisis by talking about blessing? Well, if we remember back to last week, if you weren't here with us, I'll summarize a little bit. We said that God's first words to humanity all the way back in Genesis, we can maybe understand in a way we haven't understood before as words of blessing. He invited them to be fruitful and multiply. We said that in the book of Numbers, Numbers understands the blessing of God to include an inheritance, a family to come after you, relationships and connection. That was blessing for the people of God. He invites them to eat from the tree of life, to have long life, to have health, to have safety, to have blessing. He invites them to walk with him in the garden, to have personal connection with God, their creator, to have friendship, to have the presence of God. This too was blessing. The very earliest relationship of God to humanity was one of blessing. The first words that he spoke to us as a species were blessing. Invitations to a vibrant and rich life. And now God comes in the flesh for the first time, walking amongst his people after so much has gone wrong. And what are his first words, his first great speech to humanity? What does he say? How does he start? He starts with blessing. By opening 
With words of blessing, Jesus is gently suggesting to us that though so much has changed between us and God, God's heart for us has not changed. That though so much has gone wrong in these intervening pages, God's disposition towards us has not changed. We may be a mess, but his posture towards us is still, is still one of blessing. His thoughts about us still move towards kindness and generosity and grace. You see, by opening with words of blessing after so much has gone wrong, Jesus is telling us the time for blessing, the when of blessing, is even now, even in the valley, even when so much has gone wrong in life and in the world, the time for blessing from God's perspective is even now. Even then, when Jesus was speaking these words, having to come on this rescue mission, when there was no other way forward, even then he could say it is a time of blessing because his heart for them to bless was unchanged. Likewise, for us, when is the time for blessing in your life from God's perspective? Is it only when you have done all the right things? Is it only when you finally attain to that relationship that you were so hoping to have, to to getting that position of influence, of impact, of getting your heart cleaned up in a certain way, of having a certain kind of, of relationship with my parents, with my siblings? Is it only then that God will unfurl the blessing? Only at the right time, is that when God only brings his blessing? No, that the the picture seems to be that even now, even when things have gone so wrong. Even in your life, when things have gone so wrong, the time for blessing is even now. And that doesn't mean that blessing is necessarily going to look the way that we hope it looks, the way that we expect it to look, but it means that the disposition of God's heart, that in His wisdom, what He knows will bless you is still completely for you, available to you, and coming to you from Him that he will not hold back blessing because his heart towards you has not changed. Even now, God is pleased to look at you from the perspective of blessing. Hear that. The when of God's blessing for his people is even now. Even for you. You believe that. Do you believe that God would have a posture of heart towards you that says, even now, even with what you were like in your heart this morning towards someone on the way here? Can you imagine a God that would say, even now, I long to bless you? Or are you still in a relationship with God where you have to work in order for him to love you? Because that's not what Jesus is showing us here. It's a surprising when of blessing that comes to the church. The church is full of surprises that we are worse than we think we are, but we also have so much more than we think we have, that God is so much greater and kinder than we think he is. There's a surprising when to God. 
But there's also, as we're going to look at now in our second point here, a surprising who of God's blessing. Because it's not just surprising, if we think about it, that, that Jesus gives this message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and then starts talking about blessing, 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 blessing. But who receives the blessing? You could imagine Jesus saying like, something like, blessed are those who have waited this out and who knew I was coming. Blessed are those who have been unwaveringly faithful, who have kept the letter of the law to the perfect point. Blessed are those who tithe exactly regularly. Blessed are those who have never left Israel. Blessed, right? He could be doing all these things that are saying, I recognize you who have had good behavior. But who does Jesus say is blessed? We're going to go back through the text here more specifically. So if you have your Bibles out, we'll look through it. He says, blessing belongs to, verse 3, the poor in spirit. Those who, as one commentator, Grant Osborne, helps us see, those who are spiritually destitute, those who have no means of providing for themselves and must rely on someone else, who find their souls running on absolute empty, have no reserve, no backup tank, you are just stuck on the side of the road, spiritually impoverished. He says, those people are blessed. Verse 4, he says, not just them, but those who mourn are blessed. It's a word in the original language in Greek, pentheo, that conveys grieving deeply, being consumed by your grief so that you can't hide it. You can't put on a nice face and go to work. You are just crying, just grief-stricken all the time. Those who are buried by their grief, he says, are blessed. Verse 5, he says, the meek, or you could say the gentle, as R.T. France and his commentator explains, that, that would be those, he says, who do not throw their weight around. Those who would rather experience powerlessness than exert their power to help themselves. Those who show grace instead of expressions of control, power, or rage. Jesus says, those who often experience powerlessness who choose to not perhaps advocate for themselves at some point, they are blessed. Verse 6, he says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, meaning those who don't have as much of it as they want. You only say you are hungry when you're hungry, right? When you don't have enough food at that time. You say you're thirsty when you don't feel like you have enough water. He's saying those who hunger and thirst for righteousness don't feel like they have enough. They feel unrighteous. They feel outside of what they are called to be. Not yet spiritually filled, but spiritually hungry, famished in some sense. Those, he said, the deeply hungry are blessed. It says, verse 7, the merciful, those who take that risk to forgive without knowing whether or not the other party will accept that forgiveness. Those who are, who are taking the risk of absorbing the cost that would come to them when they could otherwise insist on having their payment, insist on being paid back. Those who accept having less because of someone else's actions that have nothing to do with them, he says, they are blessed. 
It says, verse 8, the pure in heart, those who pursue God not just on the outside, not outwardly following God, showing up to church, going to Bible study, doing my prayers, but inwardly, what can't be seen when it's just between me and the Lord, inwardly, those who follow God, who risk missing out on the things of the world and accept the loss of holding back, they who have less in this life are blessed. Verse 9, it says the peacemakers, those who risk stepping into conflict to see peace return, which inevitably means getting hurt along the way. They are blessed. Verse 10, those who are persecuted, similarly for doing what's right, who stand up for what's right, and instead of being praised for it, are rejected for it, are persecuted for it. Those who are likely often tempted to give up because it is just hard to stand up alone. It says those who are standing alone and feel like they want to give up are blessed. Verse 11, the ninth blessing in a row. If you feel tired of hearing me talk about who he's blessing, (laughs) imagine that God is just relentlessly blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing so that you are almost weary of receiving the blessing of God. He wants to wear you out with his blessing. And in verse 11, he says, blessed are the reviled, the the persecuted, those who are insulted because of me, those who are following after me, who, who stand out rather than blend in, whose friends know that they don't believe exactly the same things that they believe, who believe something different, who are ridiculed for that, who are not flying under the radar, but have made the costly sacrifice of being identified with Jesus, staking their life on him, those who feel out of place, likely those who feel like they aren't valuable to the world around him, those who are sticking out, not fitting in, Jesus says, you are blessed. These are the people that Jesus spends time blessing at the beginning of unpacking what does it mean for the kingdom of God to be at hand. This is a list of the least of these. The least powerful, the least influential, the least likely to be recognized. This is a list of people that God's heart goes most quickly to. to those who would certainly feel unseen, unheard, unsafe, unloved, unworthy, without value, maybe even unable to go on. That's who Jesus sees first. Maybe you find yourself in one of those seats this morning, one of those nine chairs, sitting in the experience of those same people Know that the eyes of the Lord are on you. He sees you. His heart goes towards you. He is drawn to you quickly for blessing. In fact, this is the word of the cross spoken to us, that his eyes are on the poor in spirit, on the destitute and in need of saving. That's what he was saying by dying for us in our place, that my eyes are on you, that I see your problems, that I desire to meet you in those problems, that those of you lacking righteousness who don't feel like they have it together, who don't have the dignity, who don't have the worth, those of us who are suffering deep loss that consumes us, that we can't get off of our back, he says there, I see you. 
and I have come to bless you. That's why he was there, to see your pain and to do something about it. And his word on the cross is not disappointment in you. It's not sighing and dismissal. It's not annoyance. It's not get your act together and then someday what I'm doing will be for you. No, it's grace. It's repair. It's restoration. And all that for a people who he is admitting by being there that that you can't do this on your own, that you are not worthy of this in and of yourself, that this just has to be a gift. But I am a God who blesses, and so I long and delight to give to you. The cross is unexpected blessing for unexpected people. And Jesus starts talking about what he is there to do by giving unexpected blessing to unexpected people. Precisely to give them a power that they did not have on their own. To lift them up from the ash heap and set them instead in the seat of glory, in the seat of blessing by taking our ashes for us taking the place of our unrighteousness, our powerlessness, our sitting outside and being cast out, of being humiliated, of being the meek, of being persecuted, rejected, and insulted so that we would have the blessing of his purity of heart, his goodness, his gentleness, his power, his peace, his beauty. It's not what you expect God to give the least worthy people, but it is what God expects to give to the least worthy people. Christianity is not, the church is not about the best people getting the best. It is about the worst people getting the best by grace. We are not here to be better than others. We are here because we are no better than others. But we have a God who is vastly better than anything else you could find. The surprising who of blessing should always apply to the church. This should always be a place where we can say, can you believe that I belong here? Can you believe that I am saved by grace? There should be a surprising who to the church, not a, of course, of course they would be here. There's meant to be a surprising who to it because that is the heart of God, to save, to have eyes for the least of these, to call us his church and bless us. And how does that take shape in our lives here and now? It takes place finally by that confusing point, the future present nature of God's blessing. Uh, Jesus' blessing is in itself surprising, uh, but Jesus also speaks about blessing in a way that can feel confusing if we sit with it for a moment. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That means blessed right now. He doesn't say blessed will be, he says blessed are. Right now you are blessed. And mostly, he says, these groups are blessed, not because of something they have right now, though he talks to two groups about that, but because of something that will only happen in the future. He says, you are blessed now for something that you will not have now. 
You are blessed now for something that will only come later. For example, he says the, the persecuted shall or will possess the kingdom of heaven. That means one day, not today. He says the grieving will find comfort. That means one day, not today. He says the peacemakers will be called sons of God. That means they'll be recognized, they'll have value and standing, but that will happen today. No, not today, a different day. Those are all future realities that have not happened yet. So how can you be blessed now for something you don't have yet? Right? How does it benefit me now to have something only happening for me in the future? Well, it's because Jesus is revealing something that is experientially true, which we know by experience, by history, but which we often overlook in our lives. And that's that there is a present nature to the future blessings of God. There's a present impact of those future things that our, our future actually shapes our present. It's not a disconnected cloud floating away, but that it is, it is deeply connected to the here and now. If we stop to think about it for a minute, we, we know that that's true experientially, that our, our future is tied to our present. It, it shapes our present. I'm going to give you an example from uh, one author, Viktor Frankl, who experienced the Nazi concentration camps and wrote a book about his experiences of how people endured that or did not endure that, a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He, he talks about, in particular, the impact of hope on the ability of people to survive those camps of a belief in a better future to get them through. That had an impact on their present life in those unimaginably painful and traumatic circumstances. Uh, he observed, for example, there were people who thought they just had a conviction that January 30th, the war will be over and we will be free. That was their hope. They were driving towards it. They believed that it would happen. January 30th came and went. The war was not over and they were not free. And he said, those people whose hope came and went quickly, he watched this happen, quickly faded and died, like days. They lost their future hope and their present collapsed. When their future died, they died. Their future had an impact on their present. It was what was animating their painful present. It was keeping them alive in the midst of that which helps us see that, that future, the future hope that we have shapes and powers our present life. When you lose your future, when you gain a new future, it impacts your present. If there was somewhere you were hoping to be that you're not going to be there anymore, right? even just a small thing, a trip you were hoping to go on, it gets canceled, that impacts your present feeling. You weren't there yet, you weren't even on your way yet, but it impacts your present. You lose a relationship. Someone passes away. That's a future you were going to have with them that you don't now have. You don't just lose the immediacy of having them that day. You also lose what you're going to have with them in the future. And that, too, impacts your present. The future powers or crushes our present. It's not separated. It's connected to our present. We're all living for a certain future that is shaping our present right here and now. It may not be conscious for it. It's probably deeply subconscious, but it is there and you know it if it gets taken away. 
If we lose it or if we lose hope in it, we unquestionably struggle to go on. This is what depression often looks like, that we have a loss of hope. Something is taken away from us and our present suffers deeply under the weight of that. It hurts. And Jesus is saying to a long list of people who are struggling, here is your future. Not what you see in front of you. There is something that you can't see, a reality that's not visible to you that is your future. And those who have this future are blessed now because this is what shapes your present. This future is what reaches back into the present to care for you here and now. So rejoice even now because this future is yours. This is what is shaping your present. He's inviting us in that to learn to listen to a future that we cannot see yet. In speaking these blessings, Jesus is trying to open the eyes of our hearts to see beyond what our actual eyes can see in our life. He's inviting us to listen to the true present that we have with him now or to the future that we have in his grace because our eyes can only see what's in front of us. Jesus is revealing something to these groups and to those of us who sit in these same seats that we can't see, but that is true of us, that he wants you to see. He wants you to have more than what your eyes can see. He wants to give you more than what your hands can hold. He is speaking to the brokenhearted, the downtrodden, those risking so much for him to tell them that there is more to your life than what you can see. Our system of culture right now is built almost exclusively on there is nothing more to life than what you can see. Jesus could not be more opposite than the foundations of what our cultural society is built on, which says only trust it if you can touch, taste, see, examine, put it through a loop and bring it back. Jesus is saying that is just cutting off any future. There is no future then. It is just all recycling the present. Only what I can experience. Only what I can have here and now. It is setting ourselves up to be culturally depressed. Jesus wants to challenge, to speak back and to say, yeah, you see terrible things right now. I see them too. I came to do something about that. And that is going to change the future that you have. Because of me, you are going to be blessed right now. Because of what I go through, you are going to have a different future. You were cut off, but you are cut off no more in me. You are brought out of these things. You are brought out of the slavery of sin and death, out of all this suffering, out of all this hunger and thirst. You're brought out of these things, and you can't feel it yet, but it is yours. He is calling us to listen with our hearts to a future that is not yet ours, to be shaped by that. And I know that feels hard. On our best days, that's hard. It's hard for me. I'm sure it's hard for each of us. But the good news is we don't have to try and do that listening. Jesus doesn't just give us a gift and then say, good luck figuring it out. He actually gives you someone to walk alongside you in learning how to use it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he directs our hearts. God himself teaches us how to listen to a future that we can't yet see to be shaped by that. 
He doesn't just zap us, right? This is not the matrix. This is not you get plugged in and I know Kung Fu, right? There's no pride of getting to learn that way. Neo can't teach someone that in some sense, I guess. I'm not going to get too deep into matrix theology. But when we get to learn something, there is a joy that comes with that, that I learned how to do it, that I learned how to ride a bike. There's a satisfaction that comes with that, and there's also in the learning the opportunity to get to teach others how to do what I just learned how to do. That I can not just experience the joy of this blessing for myself, but that I can help others. We get that further joy of being able to teach, getting to watch their eyes light up with the future that is theirs too. In the same way that God watches our eyes light up when we start to listen for the future that He has promised us. That is blessing that shapes our present. When we can hear, even if we can't see, something that gives us a hope here and now. So in closing, what, what do we do with that? I want to encourage you to, to do two things, to let the time be now and to let the future speak this week. To first, let the, let the time be now. You may not have heard from God in a really long time. You may have closed this book. You may never have had this book. You may never have heard from God. And I want you to hear that for you, even you, if this book is closed to you, to your heart, if God is closed to you and to your heart, even now is the time of blessing. Is a time for you where God desires to give you a word of blessing, even after such a long silence, even now, even today, even if you don't feel ready, He is always ready the time for his heavenly future blessing to break into your present is even now. You want to wait for a certain time where you feel like you have it together, where, where you are not the spiritually hungry but the spiritually full, or when you feel like you can answer all the questions. Jesus gives these blessings to the people who were not able to hold the things that you and I would want to hold to feel like we deserve being blessed. It's not about deserving it. It's not about having the control. It is simply about the God of the universe who desires so much to bless you to extend a joy of blessing in your life. It's not about us doing it. It is just about receiving it. Let the time be now because in his heart, it is always now. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the day of God's grace. Not some future day that we have to wait for. Now, here, today, why wait any longer? He's not waiting for you. He's not waiting on you to do something. He's ready. His future is calling, so let, secondly, that future speak. Let his promised future speak into your present today, tomorrow, this week. Create a reminder for yourself, put a sticky note on something, that the future I have in God speaks to my present now. I have a future with God that is different than what I see today. That future shapes my present. When I start to get anxious, I start to feel stressed, when I start to feel angry, 
when I start to maybe project my present that I see onto the future that I think I'm going to have, instead of letting God's future speak back into my life, let that little note remind you that the future of God's grace and blessing are shaping your present even now. That those things belong to you, that that is where you are going, that it's not going to be the case that January 30th will come and go and you will not be saved, but that even now God's salvation is on you. It is for you and you will only be more and more delivered into his grace. Let that future shape your present when you are so frustrated by your relationships, by your work, by your school, by the person who just won't email you back or the person who just won't stop emailing you. Right? Let that future speak into your present that what I see is not the end reality for my life. Tell yourself that, tell a friend that. Your future in Christ as his people is, no matter what the condition of your life, Matthew 5 shows us, no matter what the condition of your life, the future of God's people is blessing. Let's pray. I'd like to give you a little time to talk to God in your hearts about these things, maybe thanking him for speaking blessing even now, desiring to do that even now, even for you. Maybe confess the ways that you've insisted on having a different future, on, on not wanting to hear from him, not wanting to wait for him. He's ready to hear you. He wants to speak. Ask him to bring this future to bear on your hearts. Let's pray for a few moments.